Well, a few weeks ago, uh, we had the release of the final Avengers film, didn't we? Endgame. Uh, unsurprisingly, the film broke all sorts of records, taking $1.2 billion in its first week. Uh, but what makes a film like that so popular? What is the secret to, to Marvel's success when it comes to filmmaking? Uh, a while ago, I was chatting to a friend who works in film production, and he was saying that it's all to do with algorithms. Uh, basically, a bunch of mathematicians get together and figure out an algorithm for producing successful films. Which means any new idea, any new script that comes across Marvel's desk uh, is run through one of these algorithms. If it doesn't pass the success test, then it won't go any further. Over the last three weeks, if you've been with us, we've been looking at this book of Jonah. And I think that Jonah chapter 1 to 3 would pass the Marvel success test. So, chapter 1, we met the runaway prophet, didn't we? Jonah, God's reluctant messenger, does a runner, only to find himself thrown overboard in the middle of a massive storm. It looks like the end for Jonah. But then comes chapter 2, God's great rescue. God sends a, a giant fish to rescue his rebellious prophet, and it seems that Jonah learns his lesson. So chapter 3, having learned his lesson, the transformed Jonah heads off to Nineveh to preach God's word. The people respond in repentance. God's judgment is averted. It's a happy ending for everyone. Sounds like a blockbuster film, doesn't it? But then just as you think the film's about to end and the credits are going to roll, there's chapter 4. And chapter 4 doesn't seem to fit the algorithm. I don't know if you thought that as it was read. It's not really what we expect to hear, is it? And so the film, well, it's not finished yet. It seems that God has more to teach us through his prophet Jonah. More to teach us about ourselves as we look at Jonah's surprising reaction. And more to teach us about himself. As once again we see God's gracious response to Jonah's actions. And so the first thing that I think we see in chapter 4 is that God is infinitely more forgiving than us. God is infinitely more forgiving than us. Last week uh, we reached the amazing high point of the story at the end of chapter 3. Jonah had preached, the people of Nineveh had repented and so God relented. His judgment was averted. It was a wonderful end to the chapter. God's mercy to the repentant Nineveh. And so what do we expect to read in chapter 4 verse 1? Chapter 4, verse 1, and then Jonah praised the Lord. No? Chapter 4, verse 1, and then Jonah rejoiced at God's amazing grace. No? Those are the things we might expect to read, but, well, we actually read in verse 1, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Jonah witnesses God's grace to the people of Nineveh, and he's furious. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? 
This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew this is what you were like, God. It's shocking, isn't it? Jonah makes this amazing declaration of God's character, a declaration that we've read already throughout this service. A declaration of the Lord's grace, his compassion, his love, and he hates it. He's angry about it. When God relents and shows compassion to the Ninevites, Jonah is furious. And did you see, he finally tells us why he ran away from the Lord back in chapter 1. Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites, not because he was scared, not because he was a bit nervous and didn't know what to say. No, he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he didn't want them to be saved. He wanted God to destroy them. So just look at what he does in verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. What's he doing? He's waiting. Waiting to see what will happen to Nineveh. Hoping against hope that the end of chapter 3 was just a big misunderstanding. That God really will destroy the Ninevites after all. It's shocking, isn't it? Shocking response from Jonah. How could he hate the Ninevites so much? How could he hate them so much that he would sit and wait, hoping that God would destroy them? We're shocked when we read Jonah's response. And I think we are shocked because we tend to think, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like Jonah. I'm more loving than Jonah. I want everyone to be saved, whoever they are, whatever they've done. But I wonder, is that really true? Given the choice, would we save murderers or rapists or paedophiles? What about terrorists? The London Bridge attacks have been in the news quite a bit recently, haven't they? Would you save those people? One of the reasons I think we find it hard to relate to Jonah's feelings is simply because we don't have enemies like this. But imagine yourself living in Poland in the 1930s, witnessing the rise of Nazi Germany. How excited would you be to go and preach the gospel to those people? Or imagine yourself as a a liberated Syrian Christian who days after your rescue discovers that some of the members of ISIS have converted to Christianity and they're going to come to church this Sunday. How would you feel sitting next to the guy that days earlier was beheading your friends and burning your homes? That was the situation that Jonah was in. Nineveh, as we've seen already, was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria were Israel's enemies. They were brutal, they were bloody, they they did horrible, unspeakable things to the people they captured. And so when God tells Jonah to go and preach to them, well, he doesn't want to. And when he eventually does go, and the Ninevites hear God's message and they repent and God forgives them, Jonah doesn't get it. 
He's angry. He's, he's furious. And the truth is perhaps that we would have been too. Uh, so often we question God, don't we? We say things like, why don't you save everyone, God? If I were God, I would save everyone. I would be far more forgiving than you are. But again, is that really true? Is that true even in your life today, this week? Do you freely forgive people who wrong you? Do you forgive people no matter what they've done to hurt you? Or are we more like Jonah than we tend to think? And the flip side of that reality is that God is infinitely more forgiving than we could possibly imagine. Last week in chapter 3, we saw 120,000 Ninevites repent and they were saved. After all the things they had done, all the atrocities they had committed, God forgives them in an instant. They cry out to God and God forgives them. And so you see what, when God asks Jonah in verse 4, do you have any right to be angry about this, Jonah? Well, the answer is no. No, Jonah had no right to be angry with God. No right to say who should and shouldn't be forgiven. No right to think that he is any more deserving than anyone else. Because just like the Ninevites, Jonah had cried out to God and been saved just days earlier. Jonah needed God's grace just as much as they did. And so as Gareth pointed out in the kids' talk, the only person who had the right to be angry was God. God had every right to be angry with the Ninevites and every right to be angry with Jonah. Because when they sinned, they sinned against him. So the Ninevites had spent their entire lives ignoring God. They'd taken the good things that God had given them and then they denied his very existence. They'd abused God and abused his people. And so God had every right to destroy them. But he didn't. He chose to forgive them. And so you see, God is so much bigger than we like to think. His forgiveness is so much bigger, so much greater than we think. God is infinitely more forgiving than we are, and he's also infinitely more loving than we are. Just look at verse 5 again. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Having been rebuked in verse 4 for his attitude towards Nineveh's rescue, Jonah does what Jonah does best. He wanders off and he sulks. He wanders off out of the city, finds a spot by himself, and he has a good sulk. But then, did you see? His mood changes pretty quickly in verse 6. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Despite Jonah's sulking, God once again shows his kindness, his compassion towards Jonah. He provides a plant to shade him from the sun. And suddenly, everything's okay again. 
Jonah is happy with his situation. Things are looking up. Now he's got his plant. But then in verse 7, things change again. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. You see, God brings Jonah comfort in verse 6 and then he brings Jonah discomfort in verse 7. The same word is used in those verses. God provided the plant, but God also provided the worm and provided the wind. What is God doing? Why does he do this to Jonah? Why does he provide him with a plant for shade and then the very next day provide a worm to take it away again? Jonah, God is teaching Jonah a lesson. A lesson all about his love, about his compassion. Look at verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. I wonder, what are some of the things that you love? What are some of the things that you care deeply about? I'm sure some of the answers to those, that question will be very good, noble things. Our, our family, our community, our planet. But I suspect that some of the things that we love will also be just a little bit trivial. Maybe you love your car or your phone, or your clothes, or your garden, or your living room. Maybe you love FIFA, or Netflix, or Amazon Prime. We love all sorts of things, don't we? And sometimes we see just how much we love those things when they're taken away from us. So someone scratches your car, or your little brother breaks your phone, and you're furious. Because you love those things. A fox digs up your flower bed, your computer game doesn't save properly, your football team loses, or your internet stops working, and you get angry. Really angry. Because you love those things. Jonah loved a plant. It was just a plant. It sprang up one day and it was gone the next But he loved that plant. He loved the comfort, the pleasure, the satisfaction that it brought him, the shade that it gave him. He loved it so much that when it was taken away from him, he was angry enough to die. Jonah loved his plant, even though in the end it was just a plant. The thing that Jonah didn't love, the thing he would not love, was the Ninevites. 120,000 men, women, and children. The people that God had brought into existence and so bore God's image. Jonah didn't love them. In fact, he sat outside their city hoping that God would change his mind and destroy them. And again, it seems unbelievable, doesn't it? 
Jonah's attitude seems unbelievable. But again, we need to be careful. Because we've already seen we are more like Jonah than we tend to think. We love to view ourselves in a positive light. To think I'm far more loving than Jonah. I've got my priorities right. I can tell a plant from a person. That's how we like to view ourselves. But well, let me ask you some questions that I've asked myself this week. If you say that you love people, if you say that you want every person to be saved, how many people have you talked to about Jesus this week? If you say that you love people and you know that the thing they need more than anything in the world is to know Christ, when was the last time you told someone the gospel? When was the last time that you said, not to a stranger, but to your closest friend who's not a Christian, can I share something with you that is more wonderful than anything in the world? Something that you desperately need, but that you don't have. Can I tell you about Jesus? We love all sorts of things, don't we? We care about all sorts of things. But do we care about people being saved for eternity? Are we as loving as we like to think? Because if we really love people, if we really want them to be saved, then we would do absolutely anything to tell them about Jesus. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant, Jonah? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? We're so often like Jonah, aren't we? We manage to care about the most trivial of things, yet we fail to love people. But God doesn't. Even though they were wicked and rebellious, God loved the Ninevites. Even though he had every reason to be angry with them, he chose to save them. When they cried out to him, he had compassion on them. You see, God is infinitely more loving than we are. He's so much bigger than we think. So much more loving and kind and compassionate and gracious than we think. And that is a truly wonderful thing. It's wonderful because as we've seen time and time again in this short book, we are just like Jonah. Just like Jonah in chapter 1, we so often hear God's word and then go ahead and do the complete opposite. Just like Jonah in chapter 2, we can't even cry out to God without feeling slightly self-righteous about it. And just like Jonah in chapter 4, we struggle to forgive those who hurt us. We struggle to love people more than our own comfort and pleasure. We're more like Jonah than we think. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that we have a God 
who, as Jonah rightly says in verse 2, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. We have a God who, in the person of Jesus Christ, entered our world and bore our shame so that we could know the joy of salvation. You see, the Lord Jesus, he didn't run away from the task that was set before him. But instead, he went willingly and obediently, not to Nineveh, but to the cross. The Lord Jesus didn't love his own comfort or security, even his own life, any more than people who do not know their right hand from their left. The Lord Jesus, filled with compassion, filled with love, gave up those things. He endured pain and discomfort. He endured mocking and beating. He endured slapping and spitting. And in the end, he endured the cross. All for the sake of people that he loves. People like you and me. You see, the gospel says we are just like Jonah. Just as rebellious, just as self-righteous, just as unloving. We're just like Jonah. Yet we have a God, we have a saviour who is infinitely more forgiving and infinitely more loving than we are. A saviour who freely gives us that forgiveness, freely gives us his love because of his mercy and grace. And so as we come to the end of this short book, we need to ask ourselves, do I know that love? Do I know that forgiveness? Do I really know what it means to have received God's mercy and grace? If you're not sure about the answer to those questions this morning, then please let me encourage you to talk to someone. Uh, Talk to the person you came with. Talk to the person sitting next to you. Someone wearing a lanyard. Anyone here this morning. Talk to me. We would love to help you think more about what it means to know God's forgiveness. To know his love. And if you're here this morning and the answer to that question is yes. Yes, I do know God's love. I do know his forgiveness for my sin. I've experienced the Lord's compassion in my life. Well, then I think the question Jonah leaves us with is this. Are you showing that same compassion, that same love towards others? In verse 11, God says, wake up, Jonah. Wake up, get get a right perspective. People matter more than plants. And then the story ends. We hear nothing more about Jonah. We don't find out whether he goes and has another strop, or he jumps on another boat, or he finally comes to understand the Lord's compassion. We just don't find out. And that's because in the end... It's not Jonah that we're meant to worry about. It's not Jonah's attitude or Jonah's perspective that should concern us. It's ours. Which means the question for us this morning is what about us? What about London? What about Chessington? 20,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. How do we feel about them? Do we share God's compassion for them? In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this, 
For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says Christ's love compels us such that if we've truly understood God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus, well, then we will no longer live for ourselves. No longer live for comfort or reputation or success or security, but instead live wholeheartedly for him, for the Lord. The Lord's compassion is a compelling compassion. It drives us out. The great missionary Hudson Taylor talks about the moment that he finally decided to go to China to take the gospel there. On Sunday the 25th of June 1865 he writes this, Unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out into the sands alone in great spiritual agony. And there the Lord conquered my unbelief and I surrendered myself to his service. Do we share the same compassion for the lost? Are we compelled by Christ's love? Do we share his desire to see people saved? Thankfully we've seen in Jonah, haven't we, that God can and does save people despite our reluctance, despite our lack of compassion. But let's pray that he wouldn't have to. Let's pray that he would change our hearts and give us a compassion for the people on our street. A compassion for the people at the school gate or the playground or in the office. Let's ask that we would be compelled by God's compassion so that we would pray for the lost. Compelled that we would go to the ends of the earth or maybe just the end of our road to reach others with the gospel and compelled so that we would invite them to come and know the Lord Jesus invite them to come and know the one who gave his life for people like them let's pray that we would be compelled by the Lord's compassion let's pray Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we see about you in this passage. Father, thank you that you are so much more gracious, so much more loving, so much more compassionate than we can begin to imagine this morning. But Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would uh, give us just the smallest of sense of those things, that you would help us to understand them truly, and that as we do, Father, that you would change our hearts, that you would make us more like the Lord Jesus so that we would have a compassion for those around us. We would want to reach out to them with the gospel. Father, please change us in this way so that we can bring glory to your name in this place. Amen.